0: Hey, thank you, Marv. Good morning. morning. I, I, uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Steve, and I'm one of the pastors here. And um, as Andrew said earlier, we've been studying through the book of John, but we're going to actually be taking a break from that for the next two weeks, um, and we're going to be doing something different. Stephen, can you turn me down just a little bit? Um, is that, can you guys still hear me in back okay? Okay. All you, people, all you people in the box seats up there, just so you know, we don't serve food and drinks up there. So... If you're thinking like it's, uh, anyway, um, here we go on Steve's random moments. You know, it's exciting here at Creekside. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, but you know, uh, that was a perfect song to lead in what, what we are going to be talking about for the next two weeks because we, um, we, what would you say? We crown Jesus Lord of all is what we just sang. You know, and over the last couple of weeks, when we have been in the book of John, like Jesus has been standing trial before Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor who represented the authority and power of the Roman Empire. And Jesus made some really significant statements. Um, he made a statement saying that, that his kingdom is not of this world. He claimed to be king, but he says, my kingdom is not of this world. And, and then later on, when Pilate was threatening to kill him, Jesus says, you would have no power over me unless it had been granted to you from above. We saw that last week. You know, and what we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks is we're going to be talking about the relationship between Christianity and politics, the church and politics. Did I hear an ooh already? I haven't even said anything, except I used that word politics, right? Like, it's like a dirty word, right? I mean, uh, the, the I, I just think it's interesting. You know, you hear about church politics, and you hear about work politics, and you hear just the word politics, and... And it just has, like, this dirty connotation to it, doesn't it? Like, you know what the word politics means? You can look it up. Not now. Like, pay attention. <laughs> it means the. Oh, good. I was like, did somebody put it up there? Um, it means the science and art of governing. That's all it means. I think what we confuse our minds, we confuse our minds into thinking partisanship, which I looked this up to and. I'm just going to have to paraphrase this definition a little bit, but it's like the biased view of something so you can support your own cause. That's partisanship. And usually that's what we think of when we think of politics. But politics is simply the science and art of governing. Governing, And you're like, well, wait, I thought that two things we're supposed to never talk about are like religion and politics, and here's Steve doing both, right? Like, but the reality is this, is that every, time, every week I get up here, I say things that have political implications, We just sang, crown Jesus Christ as Lord of all. He's above all power, all authority, all dominion. I regularly call all of you people to show your greatest allegiance to him and to him alone and not to your party and not to your nation and not to your, right? And so the church, by nature of proclaiming Jesus as Christ as Lord of all, by nature is political, I mean, in fact, you know, like the early church, one of the reasons why they were sent to the, to the Colosseum and devoured by lions or covered in pitch and lit, lit on fire and burned as torches was because of that declaration that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. That, that's a, it's a subversive declaration from the very beginning that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And so Jesus made the, so there's a couple of reasons, you know, as elders, we, we knew that we were going into a politically charged election cycle. I think this Tuesday is Super Tuesday. So if you don't know what that is, I didn't either, don't feel bad. But it's, I guess it's a big deal in presidential election thing. And as elders, we had talked about different ways that we could help equip us to think deeply and humbly and maturely and with wisdom around politics so that um, so that we can engage other people well and winsomely about it. There's a couple. There's a couple reasons why we would want to do so. You know, first of all, I've already talked about this. The scriptures require us to do so. The, these next two weeks are really going to be application of those those kinds of declarations that Jesus said when he said that he is like the Lord of everything. And regularly, the scriptures call us to show our greatest allegiance to him. And so the scriptures require us to, there's all sorts of like places in the scriptures that talk about like government and our relationship with government. So uh, as a church, we want to we, we equip us in it. Second reason is that our public witness requires it. And I think this is really, really important. This is probably the thing that's deepest on my heart is our public witness requires that we think maturely and well about politics, especially in an age where the church is, is misunderstood, maligned, and marginalized. If we don't think well about like our relationship with government, like it just gives the enemy more occasion to misunderstand us, to malign us, and to marginalize us. In fact, Peter talks about that in 1 Peter. Um, he says this in um, chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Trigger warning for anybody that was here during COVID. Um, you heard this of a lot of us. So if, it, if this is a COVID warning, you know, so don't start twitching and... This is what Peter says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Interesting statement. In this land and where you live, you are now like resident aliens. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles or the nations so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let me just pause there. He's saying, all right, church, listen. You're... you're Strangers and aliens, you don't really belong in this world anymore. You're part of a kingdom that's not of this world. So, in this world, keep your behavior excellent. So, even among those people who misunderstand and malign and marginalize you, so that when they see your good deeds, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. The very next line says, Submit yourselves, therefore, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do, right? For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. Use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now, there's a lot there, and I think we're going to come back to this next week as we, as we talk about this a little bit more next week. But what I want you to see is the connection between like, our relationship and how we view and, and interact with government and our testimony. Did you see that? So that in the thing in which they slander you, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them glorify God, that, that government has been sent by God for the church, to the world, and it, and it matters how we interact with it. So our public witness depends on it. And then lastly, I think our hearts could use it. You know, I don't know about you, but it's so easy to get so wound up about and so anxious about like the political climate we find ourselves in, the conflicts that we find ourselves all around the world like that, that are just getting bombarded. You know, we just get bombarded with bombarded with every single day. In fact, Psalm chapter 2 Written probably I don't know two, three thousand years ago, said this: like, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Did you hear that? Why do the nations rage? And they say, like, we just want to cast off, like, God's, like, chains on us. Like, they want to reject God's good and gracious rule. They want to rage against, like, the Lord and against his anointed. And, and I think we feel that in our day and age today. We just feel the rage of the nations. You know, in fact, like, I think uh, the places in our, like, culture where, where, like, there is the most unbridled and sort of self-justified rage probably shows the things that our culture worships the deepest. It can point us in that direction. And I think, you know, as a church, like we just need to be able to rest in the reality that it goes on. I don't have time to go through the rest of Psalm 2 this morning, but just showing how unconcerned God is about the rage of the nations. And as we trust him, I think we can take a deep breath and we can know how to like respond with grace and with wisdom amidst the raging that's all around us. And so, my goal in this in this like next two weeks is it's not to tell you what to think or like who to vote for. I'm not going to get into that sort of partisanship. I don't think we should. But it's to, it's my hope is is that I would be able to we would be able to like equip you to how to think about government. And who to put your trust in. Because it'll change our posture. and It'll change the, the way we even evaluate those things that we vote for. It'll give us peace to our hearts. It'll probably challenge us. I, I expect everybody in this room to be challenged um, at some level. I expect probably most of you in this room to like disagree with me on something. And I'm not kidding about that. It's my email, and I'm, I'm saying this with all seriousness is Steve at creeksidemac.com. Just Steve with the V. Nothing fancy. I'm not Stefan. Just Steve. <laughs> okay? Like the hedge and over the hedge. Steve Ape Fern. You guys with me? Like. <laughs> Captain America. How's that? That's better, right? So Steve at creeksidemac.com. And you know, and if I get enough questions and it seems like it would benefit the church, like I'd be happy to do like a dialogue on some Sunday evening or something um, around these things because I think that they're important. The scriptures talk about these things. Our witness depends on it. Our hearts need it. So we need to think deeply about government. So let me just pray to that end and then we'll kind of get into what we're going to be talking about this morning. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you are Lord of all, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that all authority comes from you and you are above all Power and all kingdoms and all dominions and one day they will all like be brought under subjection to your feet and you will reign over all and your perfect kingdom will will dwell in um, in this earth and we will be able to enjoy that and so Father I just ask that you would give us a a vision for like how we can interact in the world that we're in today um, that you would empower me to speak into a really complicated topic better than I can do on my own and that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say in Jesus name. Amen you know i think if we're going to be people who think well about and about how god wants us to engage in politics and in this idea of like engaging in our nation and how do we relate to government i think we we have to start and this week i think is going to be like mostly foundational we need to start in thinking about like what does god call our like secular governments to do for us in this world because if we don't know that we're going to put all sorts of things on them that they aren't supposed to do or we're going to take away things from them that they are supposed to do like, so most of our time this morning is going to be spent just looking at, like, how do we, like, view government and what is it that we should expect from government? And I would suspect that most of us, even though we have, like, some feelings about that and maybe even some convictions about that, that maybe we haven't thought, like, super, super deeply about that. And so I'm hoping to just kind of go through the pages of Scripture and just give you a really simple kind of, like, main points about what God established human government for and what we should be looking for in our, like, governing leaders. You know, and I think it can really be boiled down into two words. Like, God established human government in this world for two main things. One of them is what the Bible calls justice, and the other one is what I would call peace. Justice and peace. And the first one, this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning, is in this idea of justice. And um, in 1 Kings 3, verse 28, we don't have like a real central passage this morning, because I'm going to be trying to look at the whole kind of scriptural picture of of uh, of what God says about government. In 1 Kings 3, 28, it's talking about the rule of Solomon. Solomon was King David's son. And Solomon w- was asked by God, like, hey, what can I do for you, Solomon? And Solomon, like, Man, he says, I just want wisdom to be able to govern your people. And God granted it to him. And then after giving an example of like Solomon's wise rule, it says this about Solomon. It says, And all Israel Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king, because they perceived that he had the wisdom that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Do you see that? So, like right out of the gates, like kind of in the second king of Israel, we have this statement that he was worthy of like awe and honor because God gave him wisdom to do justice. God gave him wisdom to do justice. I see a lot of people writing things down. Um, I did something extra this week. Uh, in the weekly, I think there's been a link to it. Back on the tables, you'll see like QR codes that you can scan with application questions. I've got my outline, all my scripture references, even some quotes uh, in those application questions this week so that if you can't keep up, because I'm going to be moving hopefully fast, um, you, can, you can just go online and download my outline, and it has all of this in there. So uh, so if that's helpful for you to just be able to relax and listen, that's great. If it helps you to take notes, keep doing it. If you're doodling, that's between you and the Lord. Okay. <laughs> or texting. Oh, no, I'm reading my Bible. Um, Right Jake. Yeah, you're you're there all the time. <laughs> That's actually a fancy phone cover is what that <laughs> All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Wisdom is this idea of having this skill to live in this world in such a way that it corresponds with how God's created this world. And thus, as you're living in in relation to how God created this world, it leads to like human flourishing. And Oftentimes, like, that can that can actually happen just by observing the way the world works and living in light of that. You don't need to be a Christian to have a lot of wisdom. It's called it's called general grace that God gives all of society. But then ultimately, like, if you don't know the Lord, uh, if you don't have the fear of the Lord, if you don't know who God is, and if you haven't had your relationship restored with him through faith in Jesus Christ, like, your wisdom is always going to fall short. And so ultimately, like, If we're gonna grow in wisdom, you need to have both. Like you need to like be able to observe the way things go. And you need to know the Lord and apply with wisdom the things that he teaches us so that we can operate in this world with skill so that those who are kind of like are around us can flourish. And so that we can flourish. Like living unwisely hurts you and it hurts other people around you. It's a pretty simple thing. And so here what they're saying about, about Solomon is that he had the skill to kind of observe how this world works. He he could apply what God had said to it, and that the result was is that he did justice. And justice is one of those words that, in our culture today, has like all sorts of like you know might even be making some of you twitch when I use the word justice. And in the scriptures, justice has like two main like kind of definitions to it. The first. The first one is is what I would call like retributive justice. It's justice that we normally associate with like the criminal justice system and law enforcement and the courts and the police. And it's first spoken of in the Bible clear back, like pretty close to the beginning. Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6 says this. This is after the flood. And what's what basically that happened between creation after Adam and Eve rebelled against God, humanity demonstrated over and over and over and over again that they just couldn't figure it out on their own. Like with the first story that we have after Adam and Eve is like rebellion against God is Cain kills his brother. And then it just then we the next story we have is this guy who like kills somebody just for like making fun of him. And it just like the murderous intent of humanity just goes deep within us. And what we see here in Genesis chapter nine, is this. He says, and from your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. And he goes on, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man, his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. So what you have at the very beginning, there's like three things I want to point out about from these verses. What you have at this beginning is that first of all, it's God who establishes the standards of justice. He says, I will require it. I require this reckoning. Like justice doesn't come from like a social contract we have with each other. It doesn't come from like whatever's codified in our laws. Ultimately, it comes from God himself and God requires a reckoning. And then he establishes this principle of, like, life for life, blood for blood. So the second thing is that this, like this retributive justice that God establishes in the Bible is established in such a way that the, that the punishment fits the crime. It's meant to, and, and we see this all through the Old Testament in particular, like, um, you'll see, like, the, where it talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Like, you guys remember, like, you, you might have heard those expressions before. Those come from the Bible. And most of the time, people use them out of context in the terms of judgment, like, dude, you wronged me, so an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, so I'm going to come after you, right? Like, that's not what it's talking about. In the context of the, of the Old Testament, it's, it's setting up this principle that, that the punishment needs to be, like, reciprocal to the crime. And I don't want us to get hung up in, like, thinking about capital punishment in here, and of what life for life in a case of a murder looks like. Let's Let's just put that aside for a second. But it's this principle of, like, government is established by God to, to establish retributive justice so that, so that people are honored, and I'll get into that in just a minute, because they are protected through this, like, enforcement of laws and even, like, punishment for crimes that fits the crime. Third point, for God made man in his own image. The reason why God established this principle of like justice to to protect people is because like humanity has like this huge value before God. All of our human rights as people stem back to that concept that we have been made in the image of God. And so every single human, regardless of who they are, regardless of the decisions they made in their life, regardless of their political party, regardless of whatever, they have honor because they have been created in the image of God and justice is making sure that image bearers like, get the care and the honor and the, and the like, respect that they deserve because they were created in God's image. What that means is retributive justice isn't primarily, even though it does do this, about stemming crime in society, even though it does do that and God protects us that way. It's not primarily about rehabilitating the offender, even though it does do that at times it's about showing honor to the victim for God made man in his own image like justice is about showing the the person that's been wronged or in the case of a murder their family members like the value that their life that that life had their value as image bearers before God and when justice fails it demeans the it demeans the victim and so there's a couple things with that implies for us. Like we should be thankful for our court systems. We should be thankful for the the protection of laws that we have in this land. We should be thankful and pray for our judges and our and our lawmakers and our police officers and our sheriff's deputies and law enforcement. We should be praying for those people who care for the victims of crimes. As they care for kids, and as our teachers are working with like kids from everything, like, like as governments like caring for those people around us, we should be praying for them. Retributive justice is part of the way God has established this world. And it's one of the jobs that God has given government. We saw it in First Peter that, he, that that government was established by God to the for the punishment of the evildoer and the praise of those who do right. You can see it again in Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, it says that the government does not wield the sword for nothing. Talking about kind of the ultimate expression of that retributive justice, that God has established justice for our good to show honor to, to humanity. And we should just be super thankful as I think about this. Like, well, let me just pause there. And that a breakdown of, of, of retributive justice devalues the victim and really devalues humanity. You know, if you get deeply wronged with something like, and I'll just use a, like a more safe example, like my daughter, uh, my daughter when, she, when she was finished with college, she was going out to her car with her first box of stuff to like, put in her car and... Uh, to come home and her car wasn't where she thought she parked it and she looked all around for her car because she's like, maybe I parked it somewhere else. And then she realized, oh, somebody stole my car. You know, and she wasn't super traumatized by it, but like it was kind of a disconcerting thing because she texted me like, dad, I can't find my car. And I'm like, let me get my Bible out. Uh, (laughs) I'm like, are you sure it's not there? And uh, yeah, her car got stolen and, and, uh, And it still hasn't gone to trial. This was in 2020. You know, and so like if if this was like a real, and let's say it does, and then the courts come back and say, "Okay, dude, like you stole a car, so you should replace Sophie's car with a Matchbox car. We'd be like, well, that's not justice, right? And like it demeans like Sophie's loss, right? when there's a breakdown of justice, it devalues all of humanity, it devalues the victim. But then there's a second type of justice that appears in the Bible, and I think this actually occurs more often than retributive justice. And this is the one I think that's going to challenge us the most this morning. And it's, it's the idea of restorative justice. And it's, we see it in passages like Micah 6.8. Like, anybody old enough to remember the song from Micah 6.8? It was written in 1979. He has told you, oh, man. You can edit that out of the recording. Um Hands? You know, I always used to sing that song, and and Micah 6, 8 reads this. He has told you, oh man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Seems like we should pay attention when the Bible says, hey, this is what I think is good, and this is what I require of all of you. And it says this, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. When it says do justice there, it's not talking about retributive justice. I mentioned this to Aaron and he was like, yeah, I am Batman, right? Like (laughs) we're not all supposed to leave church, put on our hoods and capes and go beat criminals, right? Like that's the government's job. I'm glad I clarified that because it looks like there was a group back there that was ready to go. <laughs> but when it talks about doing justice there, it's talking about something completely different. It says, do justice into." Do I not have that verse on the slides, Micah 6, 8? Oh, weird, Sorry. It says, do justice to love kindness. Like those two things go hand in hand. The word kindness is this uh, Hebrew word, hesed, which talks about God's covenant, loving kindness, like mercy and care towards us. What he's saying is you should love like loyalty and mercy towards other people so much that you do justice to them which means like this idea of like you, when you look at a fellow image bearer before God you show them the honor and the care and the respect and the love that they deserve as a fellow image bearer regardless of who they are and in fact the ones who need justice done for them or to them in the non-retributive way the bible often describes in this quadrant of of four types of people but it And those four people kind of characterize like the most vulnerable in society. The quadrant of four people that the Bible like frequently goes to is is the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. And the sojourner is somebody that had to leave their land and is now living in your land. So I think we could substitute in words like immigrant and refugee for sojourner. The Bible regularly talks about like God's love for the, the poor and the orphan and the widow and the sojourner. Those are the ones the most vulnerable in society are the ones that uh, we need to do justice for. Now, I think if you're a Christian and you've like, listened to the teachings of Jesus much, you probably understand that at some level. Like the parable of the Good Samaritan is really clear about that. There's a guy that's beaten on the side of the road. Dude's walking by. He had, no, he had nothing to do with why this guy's beaten on the side of the road, but he stopped and he showed mercy to him. He moved towards him. He paid for his care. He, and that's kind of a picture of the justice. I think the challenging thing for us is that that God also calls the government to not just do retributive justice, but to do restorative justice. In fact, it's in Psalm 72, and I've got these verses on the screen. If you want to turn to Psalm 72, I'm going to talk about a couple things that aren't on the screen. The very last verse of Psalm 72 says, very last line says, And the prayers of the son of Jesse, David, the son of Jesse, are ended the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. But then the very first line of the psalm, which is actually still in the kind of heading, it just says, of Solomon. So in that, that part, like, there's, there's probably in your Bibles, there's probably a part that's in italics, and there's probably a part in that's like little letters that says, of Solomon, that of Solomon is actually part of the biblical text. And then it goes into the psalm. And oftentimes, it'll, it'll tell us who the author is. And so it's an interesting contradiction because at the beginning it says that it's of Solomon and at the end it says it was actually David's prayer, the last of David's prayers. And I think the best way to understand it is that, is that this is like David's like last prayer for his son Solomon who's going to be taking over the throne. Maybe he prayed it in Solomon's presence and, and, re, and Solomon recorded it for us and that's what that of Solomon means. Or maybe you could also translate that about Solomon Or maybe it's just meant to record that David's praying this for Solomon and it's about Solomon. You know, there's no way to really know. I tend to think that Solomon, like, was there while David prayed this prayer and he recorded it for us. And so it's this prayer for Solomon who's going to take the throne as David, like, breathes his last. The reason why that's important for us is that David's praying for his son, who is actually a king of a real country, but as I read like these passages in Psalm 72, like if you've been around the Bible for a while, you're gonna be like, wow, that sounds like it's talking about Jesus. Which it is. And, and this is important for us because like Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the one who delegates authority to governments. And government at its best is going to reflect the reign of King Jesus and the value of King Jesus. And David knows that, so he's praying for Solomon these things. And if Solomon can be these things, and to the degree that Solomon can be these things, he will reflect like the coming reign of the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you guys with me? And this is what Psalm 72 says. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, and the poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity. We'll talk about that in a little bit this, on the second point of government. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills and righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. So th- there's two things going on there. He's, he's defending the poor. He's actually delivering the children of the needy and he's crushing the oppressor that there is this retributive justice on those who do wrong to others and simultaneously he's doing justice and righteousness in that he's delivering the children of the needy and he's pleading he's defending the cause of the poor it goes on a few verses later Uh, good thing it's on there because I lost my place. Um, May, now listen to this, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. And let me pause there. He's like this, this king who defends the cause of the poor and the orphan and the and we'll, we'll see more of that later on, and, and rescues the children of needy is one who is worthy to be, to be shown tribute by every nation, like every nation should bow before that kind of king. And listen to the reason why. The very next phrase, I think it is. Oh, never mind. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Now, here's the reason. For the king that's worthy of everyone's praise Is the king who delivers the needy when he calls. The poor and him who has no helper. It goes on. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. Long live that king. Like, if you want to know a king that's worthy of saying, long live the king! It's one who has pity on the weak and needy, who saves the lives of the needy, who rescues from oppression and violence and redeems our life, and whose who's their suffering and their blood is precious in his sight. Long live the king. Now, let's take a breath for a second, because this is where it starts to like sound like Jesus. Man, praise God that Jesus is the one who willingly laid down his life to receive all of the retributive justice that we deserve as humanity upon himself so that he could offer the restorative justice. He could, because he had pity on us, because we were weak and we were needy, because he saves our lives, because we were oppressed by the devil and this world system. He redeems our life and rescues us from slavery to sin, and precious is our blood in his sight. Long live the King. And praise God for Jesus Christ who does all that for us. But as people of that King, what kind of, what, so we, we understand now what righteousness looks like from government. Righteousness looks like two things. And again, I think this is going to challenge some of us. Depending on what your kind of political persuasion is, like righteousness looks like retributive justice. It looks like bringing like, justice upon the wrongdoer as a way to honor the victim. But it also looks like restorative justice. It, it looks like, like raising up the poor and the needy. It looks like delivering the children of the needy. It looks like sh- showing, showing mercy and compassion. So when the Bible says, and when we sing that song, which we don't sing anymore because it was written in 1979, which here at Creekside, we might sing it, actually. Um, We're so hip. Um, Where was I going? He has shown you, Creekside, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If, you, if you've been a recipient of like the restorative justice of Jesus Christ because he took the retributive justice of God upon himself for you, like man, walk humbly with him, like follow him, and, and we should be longing for and working for those same things. And if you want to know like how to evaluate a political candidate or how to evaluate a political ballot measure or how to evaluate anything, tie it back to those things. Does it seek to establish justice? Does it seek, to, you know, in a way that and I'm not talking about any policy, so don't pretend like I'm saying like you should do something one way or the other, I'm endorsing or not endorsing any particular policy right now. I'm just talking high level. Does it like care for? like the most vulnerable in society? We should care about those things as Christians. That's, that's who God is. Does it seek to protect like the, those that are victims of crimes and keep crime from spreading? Like, do, Are those two things happening in this particular legislation or with this particular person? Are we showing care and pity and mercy to the poor and the widow and the orphan and the sojourner, whoever else the vulnerable population might be in our culture today? Like trace it back to these biblical concepts that are super, super clear. You know what I think? Jonathan Lehman, who I, I, I mentioned him two weeks ago, I think in my sermon, uh, I have this whole stack of books. If you want books about this, could, to dig into this more, I've got a whole stack I can refer you to. One of the books was his book. that's called Why the Nations or How the Nations Rage. And he says this in his book, and I think it's super, super helpful, and I think this will be challenging for us here. His his church is six blocks from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., so they have all sorts of kind of like pretty much everybody in their church is politically engaged because they're in Washington, D.C., six blocks from the Capitol building. He says this, My sense is that people on the political right emphasize justice as punishment, while those on the left emphasize it as lifting up the oppressed. The Bible emphasizes both. What office do you hold? Voter? Senate staffer? Church elder? Teacher? Parent? Do you use your office not just to oppose wrong, but to lift up those who have been afflicted, to defend the needy? Do you peel your eyes for such opportunities? Is that characteristic of you, or do you have lots of excuses? Often, it will be those on the periphery who call attention to those injustices, a Christian in a position of authority should continually work to cultivate the selflessness of Christ by listening to such voices and searching out injustices, even if it means disrupting the status quo and upending one's own power. I think that's really, really important for us. And because our culture today is all about like, there's two illustrations that I read on this. These aren't my illustrations, but they're so genius, I'll use one of them. You guys want the wedding illustration or the laundry illustration? Laundry? laundry? Okay, because nobody did my laundry a couple weeks ago when I suggested that. So, like our culture today is trying to force us to sort our clothes and into either blouses or skirts. And everything's about blouses or skirts. Blouses or skirts. Are you on the right or are you on the left? Who's the good guys and the bad guys? Like, who's right? Who's wrong? And, they, and, and we're just being pushed to the extremes and people are getting more and more and more incensed. And, and the other side is continually being viewed as an existential threat to our very, like, life. And I had to look up existential threat because I read that multiple times. I'm like, what are they talking about? And that means, like, they're a threat to your very life, right? To your existence. We're being forced to, like, sort, is, is it either a blouse or is it a skirt in the reality? Is that oftentimes things are dresses? Wisdom is found in being able to like determine what's a dress and what's blouses and skirts. Are you guys with me at all? Yes. Some of you are. So there's a few guys out there who have never done laundry and they're like shaking their heads, like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And here's the challenge. Like, both of those views of justice are clear in the scriptures. And yet, I think we're, like, depending on what your political persuasion is, you're a lot more, like, comfortable with one than the other. And there's a lot of, like, reasons why, and I understand those reasons why, and if we have time, we'll talk about some of those today. Otherwise, it'll be next week. So all you ladies who walk out after this week and don't come next week. um, It's women's retreat next week, so... uh, just trying to set it up. Anyway, I I was talking to somebody and I said, "Man, I wish the church back in like the, you know, early part of the night whatever the twentieth century, would have spoken up more boldly about like the injustices around the Jim Crow laws." If you don't know what the Jim Crow laws is, they were the laws that kind of established after the Civil War that discriminated against like Black Americans, and and uh, there was like untold suffering and prejudice and separation and demeaning of other people as image bearers of God that happened because of the Jim Crow laws. And, and at least my perception is, and I don't, I don't know, but the church was like, oftentimes like largely silent about that. And so I made the statement, like, man, I wish the church would have spoken up more about the Jim Crow laws. And, and the person replied to me, like, well, you can't really hold them to that because they didn't really know what they didn't know. And they were just doing the best they can. And I get that. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, what if like what if we would have had the humility to listen to like our black brothers and sisters and to listen to like black pastors and to listen to people before Martin Luther King? What if we would have just had the humility just to take the time to cross over some of those racial lines that we tended to create and just listen to their story? Like I don't think we would have been as blind to the issues that maybe the church was blind, was blind to before the civil rights movement. And so my exhortation to us as we kind of think about politics and think about all the division, our, is like, let's have the humility to, to just put down our swords for a second and listen to the other side because maybe the other side is able to see some things in us that we're weak in. Maybe, like, we could offer that to them, and maybe when we have a biblical view of justice, we're able to cross some lines that henceforth have just been this big grand canyon between people and really represent Jesus. Because the danger is, is when we tie Jesus to certain, like, political things, like, we tie his reputation to our political interpretation, and there's certain things that that we can tie it to, and there's certain things we can't. Let me quickly deal with the second part of government. That's justice and peace. The second part of government is peace. And in 1 Timothy Timothy 2, it says it this way. It says, first of all, this Paul's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Interesting. Thanksgivings for kings. When was the last time you thanked God for like our governor here in this? State. and for all who are in high position, regardless of who they are, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. One of the roles of government is to establish like order and peace and flourishing. That idea of, uh, in, in back in, in Psalm 72, it talks about, it actually uses the word I think it's in Psalm 72. It uses the word shalom. But remember when I said, we, it talked about how like the let there be prosperity upon the people. And I said, oh, we'll talk about that in a second. That's, that's what this is talking about. The government's there to establish order. Like as simple as like, what side of the road do we drive on? Right? Somebody has to make those decisions. To like economic policy, to like, you know, whether it, whatever it might be to create the context for peace and flourishing for all of us as people. Like their job before God is to like, Operate in such a way that we lead a peaceful and quiet, that means like like some tranquility in all godliness and dignity, like that all people in our nation should be able to live peacefully and with tranquility and and our government should be pursuing avenues that will lead to prosperity for us as a nation. And then it says this, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth like this peace that God seeks to establish in our nation isn't just for us. It's not just for our prosperity and my flourishing. It's so that like we have the freedom and the platform to do the gospel redemptive work of seeing people come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. Like God creates government to establish justice, to create peace so that like we can easily go out and do the work of redemption. I mean, it's, it's obvious. Like there's, I think, it's, I think it's like 13 million Syrian refugees because of the war in Syria. There's like 7 million um, Venezuelan refugees because of whatever's going on in Venezuela. I don't really have a full grasp of that. Well, either of those things. I have very full grasp, very few things I have a full grasp of. And in those countries, like in Syria, it's really difficult to do gospel ministry. Because everything is just falling apart, because their government is unjust, like because the the justice hasn't been established, because people are being victimized, because. And so there's between just those two countries, there's 20 million refugees. What is that, seven times the population of Oregon? Something like that. We should be praying and thank God for our nation, right? Because for. 250 years we've experienced that for the most part, like at, at least if we're white. Like I said in Jim Crow and during the years of slavery, it wasn't the same for a lot of Americans. I think our founding fathers understood these things that we've been talking about today because the very first line of the, of the constitution of this, of this nation that we live in reads this. We, the people of the United States... In order to establish a more perfect union, which I love that phrase. It's not a perfect union, it's a more perfect union. Like there's, there's gonna be a perfect nation that comes one day. This is just hopefully gonna be more perfect than like all the jacked up things that have gone before. In order to, to form a more perfect union and to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, that's peace. To provide for the common defense, that's that retributive justice. To promote the general welfare and and that idea of justice is that idea of, like, of, of, of like, prosperity and lifting up those who are downtrodden. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity, to ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States, for the United States of America and the founding fathers at least grasped some of these concepts that government is there to establish justice to ensure domestic tranquility and peace and praise god for that and like we've all been we've all been like recipients of this constitution of the united states and the blessings that it brought to us now let me be clear about something like i'm not saying that like, the united states has a corner on like god the government In fact, the Bible doesn't endorse any type of government. But the kind of government that the Bible endorses is a government that establishes justice in all of its forms and peace. If you want a government that is going to cause us to flourish, look for policies and governments and leaders who understand justice and who understand peace. That's what God calls us to I have a whole other section. I told Jen that I've only got 40 minutes of extra material today. Um, I've got a whole other section that I think I'm just going to hold off, and so be, bear with me a second as I'm winging my closing, okay? What do we do with that this, this morning? You know, first of all, I've, I've, I've talked about this to some degree already. Like, we should be looking towards those things that establish what God's called government to establish for us. We should, we should ourselves love mercy, do justice, walk humbly with our Lord. And in fact, in Proverbs 11, it says this, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And there are some things in our culture today, and, I'm, and we'll talk about this more next week, that are black and white. There's some things we can clearly tie to the testimony of Jesus. But when we talk about politics, there is a whole ton of stuff. In fact, the majority of stuff is stuff that just requires wisdom. And it takes wisdom even to know the difference between the two. But one of the things I just want to encourage you guys to, for one, is to have a full view of government, like on both of those sides of like justice and peace. But also just to walk Humbly because with pride when pride comes then comes disgrace and with the humble is wisdom and you won't find like i've said this like lots in the last month or so you're not going to find like humility driven wisdom like in the news media right it's just not going to it's just not there it doesn't get you clicks wisdom that comes from the humility of of like sitting under the lordship of Christ and under his word and pursuing his interests and trying to reflect his character um, doesn't get us what we think we need. But the amazing thing about like Psalm 72 was that every king in the world, like their kingship was about them. Their rule was about gathering tax dollars for them. It was about their power and their kingdom and their dominion and what they could gather for themselves and how they could make themselves great. And yet the, the king that's praised in Psalm 72 is the one that should live forever, is the one who like stoops down and cares for the poor and the widow and the orphan and the sojourner. Long live that king. You know, so Marv, if you want to come up to close us, maybe this is your assignment, is just to write Micah 6.8. Like, take your wife's, guys, take your wife's lipstick. <laughs> write it on the mirror, because I know you groom so much. He has shown you, a man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And maybe... If we as a church could just be those people, like maybe, and then we'll talk about this, Lord willing, next week because I only have like two hours of stuff next week. Um, maybe the church, the the world around us, could see something more beautiful in us as we as we seek to walk and live um, in light of Micah six, eight. So, Marv, why don't you close us? Someone close us in prayer. You know. Um, at the risk of incurring the wrath of our Sunday school teachers. I'm just gonna make two more comments. You guys can be seated. It's, it's easy for us to, I think when we think about these things to either like fall into the trap of cynicism, like you look at just broken like policies, broken government things, like broken stuff that doesn't ever work. In fact, Solomon in Ecclesiastes five 5.8 says this, if you see the oppression of the poor, and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, don't be shocked at the sight. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. I mean, like it's normal in human government to, to uh, have justice, injustices, just like dwell in a land because everybody's looking out for each other. But doesn't mean we just give up. It doesn't mean we just yield to cynicism. We seek to like, and use our influence in, the, in our political system and with our friends and neighbors and to see justice and peace established in this land. You know, and then Psalm 146, and this, I think, guards us against utopianism too because it's easy to be like, oh, we're going to go see the world be changed and we're going to fix it all. Like, good luck. Jesus will do that when he comes back. But this is what Psalm 146 says, and I'll just I'll read this and then I'll close in prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes, in mortal man, in whom there is no salvation. I think I have this on ESV, so I better read it off that. When his breath comes, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. You can keep going because I'm reading off the screen. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He's the creator of all things, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherness, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin." The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Like long live the King. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for like the fact that you are the one who ultimately brings justice. You're the one who ultimately like bore the penalty for justice for us. And I just pray for us as your people that we would be those who think well, who love deeply, and who walk humbly with you um, as we interact with all of those around us, that we would, that we would put our hope in you um, even as we um, seek to see things like change and grow and benefit um, the world around us. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming this morning. Please go get your kids right away because I'm way over... Uh, And questions, like if you have questions or comments or objections, steve at creeksidemac.com. Email me.